Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Apologies, we're doing this uh, a little differently. Some technical issues, as always happens. Trying to get back in the swing of things. Obviously, I was out last week on family vacation, plus still recovering from COVID. If you listen to the episode from the Tuesday before or uh, that we recorded Monday, you probably heard me thinking that my sore throat was just from all the talking I did at Comic-Con. Turns out not so. Turns out I had COVID. Turns out COVID sucks. Uh, and I'm still, I still have a little bit of a cough. So apologies for, um, for that. I'm sure you'll hear some scratchingness and, and my voice and some coughing and whatnot as we uh, go through this. So I did real quickly, just because last week was such a, a big week. Um, uh, just real briefly, I was going to go through and give my, you know, one, one sentence thoughts on, on these books because yeah, it was, I, I hated to miss it, but it just wasn't feasible. I was in a, a condo on the beach, which is nice, but with 10 other people, it's just not conducive to recording. Well, um, I, I don't feel sorry for you, Jace. I mean, you're yeah. on a beach, so, uh, you know, I don't feel sorry for you at all. Yeah, I don't feel bad at all. <laughs> but I, I did. Yeah, I did feel bad because it was such a great week. I thought Batman White Knight Presents Red Hood was an interesting, different take on uh, Jason Todd, obviously, this different version where he was the first Robin. Gan seems like she's a likable character. I'm, I'm curious to see where that goes. Will it be my favorite version of Jason Todd? No, I, I can already tell it won't be. But, uh, you know, all credits to Sean Gordon Murphy for creating something that feels fresh. Uh, Batman 126, we saw Failsafe uh, really kick the crap out of Batman. I still stand by what I said. I think it's Batman himself that created it. And I think the reason that uh, he doesn't remember, but it's yet it vaguely feels familiar, is because he probably went in and then erased his memory of making it so he wouldn't know how to stop it. Uh, so I did appreciate the action. This felt much more like a, what I expected a Chip Zdarsky Batman book to feel like because uh, I was a little underwhelmed with the first issue. So heading in the right direction. New champion of Shazam. Love the Doc Shaner art. Loved what Josie Campbell's doing with uh, with Mary Marvel. I'm glad she's getting her own book. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Shazam. I'm a fan of Captain Marvel, but um, I'd be lying if I said that I feel like DC hasn't used him the best over the years I, you know, and I don't know what it is about him. Um, they just don't seem to be able to to really nail him where it's a, a really compelling story. So it's, I, I think this feels more compelling. This might actually be better um, to focus on Mary as opposed to Billy. Sort of Azrael. I thought it was OK. Um, you know, reading the sort of Azrael Night of the Soul, which was all the urban legends combined in one sitting, actually made me enjoy that story a lot more. Uh, so I did. I did enjoy the sort of Azrael. The art was a little underwhelming for me. Multiversity team justice. It's getting better. Uh, I'm still not super invested in the characters, but I like the direction they're going. Poison Ivy. I really enjoyed the Poison Ivy. I really like what G Willow Wilson's doing. I'm liking the Poison Ivy series. I'm liking that she's having doubts. It's, it's uh, taking that edge off that we talked about the first couple issues where she's just killing everybody. And we're like, oh my God, she's back to her villainous roots. Turns out, no, she is compassionate. She just loves the you know, the earth that much that she, uh, that she cares. Uh, Dark crisis on infinite earths, obviously it's finally starting to move forward. I like where it's going. That final scene with all the black stuff busting out of um, Slade was pretty awesome. Black Adam, the justice society file cyclone. I just thought it was average. It was okay. It, good introduction to cyclone Batman beyond Neo year. I really enjoyed. I liked the three months later. I liked that he was just, Terry McGinnis was just down in the cave pumping iron for those three months. That was great. Aquaman Andromeda, 
little bit paint by the numbers, which is not what I expect from Rom V. I expect him to do something a little more fresh, but it's exactly what I said. It, this is sphere. This is what the people think their fears become reality. So a little underwhelmed there. Uh, Harley Quinn. We'll talk about Harley Quinn 19 today. Harley Quinn 18. It's Harley Quinn in space. It's fun. Um, don't know that I have much more to say than that. DC versus vampires. I thought was also really good. Like, okay, this is what it is. And now it feels like we're finally moving forward. We've talked about it dragging on a little bit too long. At least now it feels like the heroes have a plan to fight back. So I did appreciate that. Batman killing time was interesting. I almost was left feeling like, what was the point of that story? You know, somebody at a pawn shop buys the, what turned out to just be a, a stone eye from a sculpture. It was like the action was the point, which is kind of interesting for a Tom uh, Tom King book because usually the action is secondary to whatever thing he wants to explore. So I think that's what he's talking about when he's saying big popcorn movie, a lot of action. The, in a way, the series itself was just killing time. Like we read the series just to read the series and pass some time. It didn't. It was not. It wasn't profound. There wasn't anything revelatory about it. It was just a whole hell of a lot of action. Well, they, they were all fighting over an eye that was worthless. And I, I, I still don't understand why Bruce Wayne felt the need to lock it in a vault where it got robbed. Why was he locking up something that had no, no I, value? Ra's al Ghul lock, lock in that fight in the final issue. It was Ra's al Ghul that said that he locked it away. He locked it away because it, he, want, he wanted it a certain distance from him, but didn't just want to get rid of it. He did care about it. He didn't. It, so, yeah, it was. Yeah, but it was in essence, kind of worthless. But at the same time, you could think of like a dollar bill being worthless or a hundred dollar bill being worthless, right? It's only that value because we say it has that value. So same kind of thing. But yeah, the, it turns out killing time had a, <laughs> that name had a lot more, um, it was more prevalent or more, more prescient than we might've uh, thought. Yeah. And then flashpoint yeah. beyond, obviously with Martha Wayne showing up at the end, just, Blew me away. I really don't know where that series is going, but I'm I'm definitely enjoying it. So anyway, that's last week's books. Let's move on to this week. It's not quite as good. A little more on the average side. We'll kick it off with Blood Syndicate, written by Jeffrey Thorne. We have pencils by Chris Cross for pages one through nine and Sean Damien Hill for pages 10 through 20. Inks are by Juan Castro. Colors by Will Quintana. Uh, letters by Anvil Design. Kind of similar to... Um, Batman killing time in that this is just a whole heck of a lot of action. We know that this character Holocaust has basically said, I'm in charge of Dakota Island. Uh, all the gangs are going to, you know, fall under uh, my rule. And if you don't like it, I'm just going to burn everybody down, which is what happened a couple of issues ago. Um, and it seems like the remnants of the gang, the one, the gang members from all the different gangs that, that have powers, they're the ones that have survived this, um, this assault by Holocaust. They're the ones that are going to come together and join blood syndicate. Uh, the complaints I have about it are sort of the same that I've had throughout. I think that the, um, the slang and the colloquialisms are really going to date this book um, quite a bit. Uh, but I like, I get it. I mean, this is how people talk, but it's how people talk right now. It's not how they're going to talk forever. So again, I think it will date the book. Uh, I did think the art was solid and it is a lot of action. Uh, one thing I will say is it has such a large cast of characters that at times it's it's hard to keep everybody straight. Um, so it might be a, uh, an issue where, hey, let me go back and read it when when everything is said and done. And I might get uh, a little better understanding of it because 
wouldn't go so far as to say I'm lost, but man, it, it's, it's, I have to like stop at times and go, wait, okay, who's this character that's talking this? Okay. This was the guy that was the soldier overseas. This is the guy that stayed behind, like that kind of thing. So, uh, but th- that's just not me not being super familiar with the characters. So all in all, it's solid. Um, and I think it does, it does pay homage to the original blood syndicate, which I think I only read two issues of back in the day, but it, it pretty much the same premise, you know, a bunch of gang bangers get powers and, um, you know, rather than use it for crime, they use it to sort of protect their, their turf. So not necessarily heroes, not villains, more in the anti-hero vein. So what do you think, Rocky? Uh, well, uh- you just stated it. I, I love that premise. I love that premise of like uh, gang members that are gang that, that get superpowers and they and most of them uh, do it for good. But they're not all necessarily really good or moral people, but they're not they're not necessarily immoral, except for Holocaust. Of course, there's always one bad apple. And um, I, I will say that I, I love the action here. Uh, just as a comparison, uh, those who've read Jeffrey Thorne's uh, Green Lantern, I thought that Green Lantern, I think you you and I reviewed every issue of Green Lantern, those 12 issues. That was a challenging read at times. Jeffrey Thorne is not afraid to really challenge the reader. And, and he worked with different. Uh, I thought that Green Lantern was 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 frankly just as challenging to read as this. But I thought I actually found this to be at times even easier to read than his his Green Lantern. But this is a little bit more dare I say, rewarding if you stick it out, because I really love the action here. And I. Uh, I, it's funny because I'm I'm normally somebody I, I would normally be inclined to agree with somebody like when you make a criticism about the language and the dialogue. I actually I, I've gotten accustomed to it. I think you make a, a interesting comment as to whether or not it will age well in terms of dialogue. Uh, I'm hope you know I, I I don't really know, but I I I'm familiar enough with the story. Uh, the art here by Chris Cross is is absolutely excellent. Uh, and I think, you know, frankly, this is issue four in four issues. We've got a lot of action. We've got good character moments, good story, frankly, of, of Jeffrey Thorne's work. Uh, I know his Green Lantern's gotten the most attention, but I actually think that this is a better written story than his Green Lantern. And oh, we've, gotten more, we've gotten more action and more and I think more interesting character development than, than in Green Lantern. And don't get me wrong, he did develop John Stewart. He's got a passion for John Stewart, and it did show in Green Lantern, but it became convoluted uh, between uh, some complex plotting that I think he lost himself in the narrative in Green Lantern a little bit. This is a little bit closer to home. I get a sense that Jeffrey Thorne knows this subject matter a little bit better. He knows the dialogue a little bit better, and, and it it shines it shines through. It, when I say dialogue, I mean he, he has the voices of these characters. I really love Holocaust here. This is an evil bastard, this Holocaust character, and this is something where, uh, you know, as I said before, I was not I never paid much attention to to uh, the milestone line in 96. And I was an avid collector then. And shame on me, you know, uh, better late than never. And, uh, you know, I thought this was a pretty good uh, 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 good in opening four issues. And, you know, this ends on a big cliffhanger, a huge explosion. And next issue promises to be uh, continue with the action. So, um, you know, I, I this is probably my comic that continues this is actually one of the better comics this week quite frankly it's only this and one other comic that i like this week uh, out of 13 so i thought this i think that's a you know at least a little bit of a compliment at the very least yeah fair enough 
Uh, next up, we have Batgirls number nine, written by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad. Neil Gouge on art. Rico Renzi does colors. Becky Carey on letters. What do you think? Uh, well, this one I uh, hear and I don't uh, forgive me, uh, Jace. I'm not sure if you can. I'm, I'm trying to sh share my screen a little bit here. I know that we're on Zoom. I don't know if it's working yeah. all that well. Yeah, I can see it. OK, uh, hopefully it's uh, it's not too bad. Uh, you know, that we've I don't want to sound like a broken record. We, we've reviewed this before. I, I always find it, starting with the covers. I think the covers say so much about uh, both our, our mutual criticisms of this series or at least our observations that this is a this is a series that purports to to talk about adult subject matter with sort of uh, older teenagers. And yet we've got covers that sort of betray that in some respect and that it's trying to it's almost like written for a lower demographic. And then and then the story suggests otherwise. But in any event, uh, this is uh, Be Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Uh, Conrad here. They um, in this issue, they uh, I find that they uh, the story actually improves. I actually enjoy this issue from a storytelling telling point of view pr more than pr previous issues, because uh, one of the ongoing sort of like almost comical things is that Stephanie Brown has been spying on their neighbor, thinking that he's this serial killer that's going around because they haven't caught this local serial killer, apparently that's going around. And she's spying on this character and. Uh, as she I mean, she's literally as as uh, Barbara Gordon is visiting an old friend, Alicia, and as Cassandra Kane is out uh, doing her things, like Stephanie Kane is hiding out, getting a suntan on the roof of their building, spying on her neighbor. And um, and then for, for no reason whatsoever, all of a sudden, when Stephanie Brown and, and, and Cassandra Kane, they're just out on patrols and and they they. For no reason whatsoever, they, they get attacked by KGBs. KGB is out, is out to kill them. And it's sort of played for a joke. And uh, Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad, they're, they're clearly trying to have fun with this. They're trying to have almost to break the fourth wall a little bit. They're, they're, they're trying to incorporate and sort of like pull in the reader that way. And they've done this before and they continue to try that. Uh, it just doesn't. It's it's just it's failed. It hasn't really worked for me. And I know what they're trying to do. And I'll give them props for for maybe trying to do something different. But it just feels it feels silly. And it's such serious subject matter. I mean, they're taking on KGBs who basically almost killed Dick Grayson or um, and made him Rick Grayson for a while there. And th there's kudos to the editor, at least there's there's editorial references to that. But there's just really wonkiness and silliness to it. And I know I'm supposed to I'm a you know, I'm a giant boy at heart. I think we all are who read comic books, but this just feels even more sillier than I would like it to be. This is more really like young teenage adult than than adult that younger people can enjoy. And but I uh, the story wise, it's interesting. I just wish maybe it's the art again. It's still it's still a little uh, off for me. But the the their neighbor, uh, Stephanie uh, Brown, uh, she, she she discovers, unfortunately, that her neighbor is, in fact, unfortunately, he's killed. He's found murdered. So obviously, he's not the serial killer. He's, in fact, a victim of a serial killer. And that is sort of like the big cliffhanger that will take us into the next issue, which promises it looks like, uh, 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 I guess, Killer Moth will be in, in next issue by the looks of things. But so I, I still I mean, at, at this point, I've I'm sort of a. Uh, resign myself to the fact that this comic book is not really written for me. And, and, and I understand why, but 
frankly, it, it ought to be written for, for all ages, but it doesn't feel like it's written for all ages. It's it really feels like it's written for, it's, it's not written um, with enough of, with, with a significant enough compelling story to it, to, to really keep me glued to it. It's more, it's more, it's, it's almost trying too hard to appeal to a demographic that, I question whether or not it's reading it when I look at the sales numbers, but maybe that's me just being cynical. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, this is just a fun book and that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Cause I, I totally get, you know, I totally get what you're saying. Um, do I think this is on the target demographic for this? No, not, not at all. This is for new, you know, newer readers, readers who aren't as familiar with the DCU. Cause I feel kind of the same, um, like KGBs to me that, that he's like a serious villain. You know, he's a, he's a serious, dangerous, formidable foe and he's played for like you said comedic effect here which is fine um because even cassandra kane you know she's supposed to be the best fighter in the dc universe and you know even she comes across as much younger here than i would you know necessarily expect her to be based on uh, you know other stories that i've read but those stories all still exist and i can go back and i can read those stories and i can enjoy them so i'm glad this comic exists in terms of being able to bring in new readers and introduce them to some of these characters. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I know this book is not for me, but it is a lot of fun. And if you just approach it that way, then, you know, you can, you can enjoy it as somewhat of a, a palate cleanser because it does have funny moments like Stephanie Brown getting hit by what I assume was killer moth and falling off the building and bouncing off a dumpster and, and whatever. So yeah, <laughs> I, pr- I appreciate it for what it is, but yeah, am I the target audience? Nah, not necessarily. And I won't even get into the whole what the heck's going on. Renee Montoya is the commissioner still at Gotham PD in one book and another book. She's the question in New York City and not the commissioner. We're like, I don't know what's going on. We'll just gloss over that uh, and move on to uh, the next book, which is Deceased War of the Undead Gods. Number one. This is written by Tom Taylor. Pencils are by Trevor Hairsign. Inks are by Andy Lanning. Colors by Rain Barreto and letters by Sada Temafonte. Now, I, I have to say, in the interest of full disclosure, that I never read the previous DC stuff. I read like the very first issue of Deceased, and then I never went back and read any of the rest of the stuff. I was just too busy. I know the basics, right? Basically, the anti-life equation takes over. A lot of heroes die. Eventually, they're able to bring some of them back. We see that. I will give Tom Taylor a heck of a lot of credit for making this new reader friendly, even though it's the third um, issue in the series um, because he does recap enough. And uh, the fact that black Canary used to be black Canary is now a green lantern and has a sword is kind of cool. There's a lot of cool concept here. um, Again, that I'm tangentially aware of just from being a DC fan, um, but that I wasn't, you know, I basically, when I read this, I was like, man, I really need to go read the whole DC storyline. So it does a good job of recapping what has happened in the sort of deceased um, universe, I guess we'll call it of, of the DCU. um, While at the end setting up that um, there's a big war to come um, because apparently the anti-life equation has taken over the gods, uh, the new gods, the old gods, dark side, you know, we're going to see a deceased version of dark side and whatnot. So, uh, bit of a setup issue, but also a bit of a recap issue. And if you're a fan of Trevor Hairsign's art, which at, 
at times his faces can be a little wonky. He uses very fine lines. And normally I'm a fan of fine lines, but sometimes it gets a little too fine in the facial features. Um, but for the most part, uh, I, I enjoy his art. He's a very good storyteller. And he, the, uh, the way he sets up his panels is always interesting to me. Um, I really love his sense of uh, like cinematography where, where he, the camera angles he chooses, what he chooses to zoom in on that sort of stuff. Um, he's, he's a very good storyteller in that sense. So yeah, I enjoyed this. It definitely made me want to go back and get caught up on all the deceased stuff. I think there's three previous volumes, including a digital only. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to have to do that before this is over. Cause this is an eight issue limited. Um, and obviously we're getting, you know, it's not a spoiler for me to say we're getting a dark side. I mean, it's war of the undead gods and we got dark side on the main cover. Um, which I guess be careful what you wish for dark side. He always wanted to control the anti-life equation. Well, I guess he's <laughs> getting it in uh, a different way than he wanted. So what do you think? Uh, uh, well, I, I love this. I, I love deceased. And I, uh, I, I, I feel that uh, I, I actually, I, if I have a wish for you, it's that you, you go back and you read those issues. Cause I, I think you would really have enjoyed them. Uh, you, you get, you get the substance of it, but the, the emotional moments that Tom Taylor mastered in the, in that initial series of deceased, those moments, those final moments as Superman basically says goodbye to John Kent and Lois Lane. I mean, typical Tom Taylor nailing those emotional moments here. Uh, dark side, of course, being taken over by sort of a, almost like a, an undead, anti-life equation and uh, and yeah that black and white cover that jay Ansoletto cover that you have up right there is unbelievable it's an homage if you don't realize it's an homage everybody to um action comics 252 which is the first appearance of supergirl where she comes out of the capsule yeah yeah it is it's uh it's uh it almost the proportions seem a little bit wonky in in some parts of it but it's because it's it's kind of like a zombie uh uh, idea it's, it's it's kind of cool and 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 also just as a as a build on on that that cover it's a good segue i love the how tom taylor plays with the continuity because this is obviously its own continuity deceased is its own continuity in a different universe i love the fact that in this universe supergirl hasn't come to earth yet but when she does she her timing couldn't be worse <laughs> supergirl's origins she she finally makes it to earth but this is after the undead the deceased have taken over the earth and she is well, she delivered. goes to she doesn't get sent there she gets sent to new genesis uh well thank you yeah, uh yeah. i stand corrected and she ends up being of course uh basically uh taken over by 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 the uh, gods of new genesis and undoubtedly supergirl i mean i think that's that's going to be probably one of the leave it to tom taylor again the emotional highlights of this series you know it's called war of the undead gods obviously referring to the gods of new genesis and of course the gods of apocalypse dark side and his minions and the fact that supergirl uh the the goal will undoubtedly be throughout the series i would imagine it's a safe bet to say that since they managed to uh get kalal uh cured of of the sort of like the undead virus that they want to do the same thing for supergirl and that will be the central uh in central goal of the entire series uh, i love the the relationship between the the new trinity is is amazing i i love the rapport it's this is a damien this is the adult super sons done right that we all love it's the damien uh john kent and cassie Sensmark as as the new trinity and and the rapport is is done so well here how they rescue uh super uh, kalal uh out of the sun where he he ended up 
basically basically feeding himself uh, at, at the at the at the end of the first uh, disease series, and uh, the, the 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 new meeting the 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 uh, I guess the reunification of Lois Lane and the reunion of Lois Lane and her and of course uh, Clark. Uh, just again, everything here is done so right. I love. Uh, I've grown to. The hair scenes art has grown on me. I think it works very well. I think this is this is my favorite. I like this more than the um, Kinian and Rosenberg's efforts on the um, vampire. What is that? Uh, <laughs> just reviewed it last week. It's not bad, but this is yeah. DC I, versus vampires. Thank you, DC versus vampires. DC versus vampires. I I actually have a renewed love for as of last week. I was getting tired of it, but last week it intrigued me again. But deceased, I haven't gotten sick of it. I've I've actually got I've enjoyed it more and more every time I've read it, and I'm looking forward to more. So good stuff. Yeah, I agree, hundred uh, percent. Okay, well, we talked about Harley Quinn 18. Harley Quinn is weekly right now with celebrating her 30th anniversary. And there are some really cool homage covers. On 18, there was an homage to uh, Detective Comics 27. This one's got um, an homage cover to the first appearance of Robin, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Yeah, um, yeah. I can't remember the, I think it's Batman number nine. Um, that Robin first appeared in, I could be wrong. But anyway, uh, it's Harley Quinn in space. It's a heck of a lot of fun. This is still being written by uh, Stephanie Phillips. We've got, uh, let me find the, uh, let me find the credits. I had it. And then credits page. The cover. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, George Duarte is the artist, Ramula Farda Jr. on colors and world design on letters. Um yeah, it's just it's a lot of fun, especially with Harley breaking the fourth wall, talking to us. Um, this might be the the most fun I've had reading it um, because it's it's almost like the the humor that Stephanie Phillips is putting in the book. It's not the zany, wacky humor of Harley that I don't really care that much for. It's more of the snarky, kind of smart alecky. Uh, Harley Quinn, where the humor is a little more highbrow, and I just I really appreciated it. I did find it a little strange. Now, granted, Luke Fox is the one that's funding this mission to um, this moon base, this this old JLL watchtower uh, moon base, which makes a lot of sense. You know, the Justice League is missing, so I appreciate that it ties into the, the DCU. It's just weird to have character moments between Luke Fox and Lucius Fox in a Harley Quinn comic of all books. And we have I Am Batman, we have, uh, you know, the other Bat titles. It just it was a little strange. Not not that I minded it because I thought it was good character work. Um, so yeah. overall, I'm really enjoying this. Uh, I, I liked I, after the first issue of Harley Quinn in Space. I was I gotta admit I was a little worried that it wasn't gonna work for me, but the second issue really hooked me. I really enjoyed it. So uh, and I especially loved just the feel that Stephanie Phillips is bringing with the with Harley narrating. And she's making references to other like really uh, famous, well-known sci-fi stories and movies like Alien and, and whatnot. And I just I just really appreciated that feel, um, you know, Harley being kind of meta. So I, it really worked for me. Um, the uh, George Duarte art, I think, works for me uh, as well. It's a good balance between, you know, more realistic style, a, a less um, stylized um, art style than we got from Riley Rosmo, but it's still, it's still cartoony enough to work on a Harley Quinn book. 
So yeah. what do you, you think? Uh, I actually, you know, uh, just to repeat some of the comments I made in the last uh, last week uh, where I was uh, given commentary by myself while you were sitting on a beach sipping Mai Tais, <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, I almost did. I, I still have a hard time adjusting to uh, 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 verdict being here because she looks that. The, the artistic style is so different than Riley yeah. Rosmo. This really does feel like a very, very different uh, Harley Quinn book. And and in that sense, it's refreshing. And that's not, as, as I said last week, that's not an insult to Riley Rosmo. He's got his own style. He's got his own style. But this actually does feel different. I love the fact that she's in space because it is so completely different. Uh, they want to go to the moon base. Uh, Luke Fox, there's Element X there. So uh, Stephanie Phillips is being very creative here. Some of the continuity is a little wonky, but let's face it. The Teen Titans are off the playing field. The Justice League are dead. There's Element X from the Dark Universe. And it's and it's might be, you know, it's important that they get it off the jail, the j- abandoned JLA moon base. So there, there's there's some semblance of a plot there. But at the same time, we, this is a very eclectic. This is basically Stephanie Phillips writing a Suicide Squad story under the guise of a Harley Quinn story. That's what this really is. I mean, even I don't know why they're calling it Task Force XX. I don't know what the double X really refers to, but there's a lot of there is fun to be had here. And I actually think that her, you know, it's odd. You mentioned the humor. I found that the humor here lands better. Uh, Maybe it's almost if I don't know how to I probably don't articulate this very well, but I feel that she's not trying so hard with the humor. It lands a little better in these first, in these first two issues in this new story arc. I actually kind of enjoy it. And I also found that because it's weekly, uh, I question whether or not they really need to do it weekly, but I'm kind of glad because I actually kind of remember what happened last week. So um, I I hope, I hope this gets, I hope more people are picking this up because I, I, I'm enjoying this a little bit more and I got to admit that just the difference that an artist can make in terms of I I question, you know, just it's such a stylistic change that I this really worked for me. And I I really like the cliffhanger here. And I'm not you know, I've already cheated. I will admit I've already read to the end of this of of this story arc. I'm I'm not going to say this is some huge revelatory must read Harley story. But if you're a Harley Quinn fan, I think you'll want to read this because it's a lot of fun. I really like the inclusion of Luke Fox. There's even a great scene between Luke Fox and his father, Lucius Fox. Uh, Luke Fox is doing something very different with his money, with his share of the money than Jace Fox is in New York City as Batman. And we'll be reviewing I Am Batman here. So this further distinguishes Luke Fox from his other members of his family and all to good effect. And I, I kind of like it. You know, we, Luke Fox may be doing something a little bit more eclectic with his time <laughs> and working with Harley. I think I think there's some fun to be had here. And I hope people uh, give it uh, check it out. It's not. I'm not going to say it's a it's a must read for this week. Uh, again, it's you know it's I would say it's probably my third. I'd rank it third this week, but uh, all in all, it's uh, I, I'm enjoying the ride with Harley a little bit more than I have in the past few months. Yeah, I have not read ahead, um, <laughs> but I I mean my guess is haven't we been told that Harley Quinn's going to die before the end of the year? Well, <laughs> we have the death of Harley Quinn. So uh... I mean. She's I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything. I won't. Read yeah. Anything, but. Well, no, no. I, and again, I haven't read ahead, so I, I can speculate. But yeah, I mean, my my expectation is that she dies while she's out here in space. I mean, she doesn't have superpowers. And we you know, I've talked about it in the past. 
at times I've had some some issues with the way she's been portrayed, especially in the Heroes in Crisis story where she took out Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman. Uh, I don't care what level of gymnast supposedly she, you know, she was a gymnast in college and, you know, uh, an uh, Olympic alternate and whatever. I, I, I don't care. You're not taking out if you're Harley Quinn, you're not taking out Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman. That, that's just not happening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, if she's in space, I this is where I expect her to to buy the, uh, the big one. But knowing Stephanie Phillips, um, you know, it'll at least be a fun ride. So yeah. anyway, let's move on. Uh, Dark Crisis Worlds Without a Justice League. We're up to Green Lantern. This is John Stewart, Green Lantern, obviously the one that's dead. Uh, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson. Fernando Blanco is the artist. Jody Belair on colors. Troy Petrie on letters. And then there is a uh, a backup with um, Kendra Hawk Saunders. Girl. Yeah, yeah, Hawk Girl. Um, and this one is written by a uh, good, good friend of the show, Jeremy Adams. Jack Herbert is the artist. Alex Guarmas does colors. Troy Petrie on letters. What do you think about this one? Uh, you know what? Uh, uh, I think that it would behoove everyone to read the, uh, you know, there's a there's an opening sort of introduction to the, the this world without a Justice League. The Justice League has fallen in an epic battle against the mad pariah darks, mad pariah's dark army. Earth's defenders sacrifice themselves to save the universe. Now, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, Jon Stewart, Hawkgirl, Zatanna, Green Arrow, and Black Canary are dead, or are they? Needing the power, needing power to fuel his deadly machinations, Pariah has imprisoned the essence of each Justice League member on custom-made worlds using ever his ever-growing dark abilities. Each world has been created from the innermost hopes of the Justice League. And what Pariah intends to do with the worlds is a mystery. So What's interesting is that if if you if we take that at face value, that all these worlds that this the world that we that Tom King had, you know, Superman on somehow it was a combination of Superman's innermost needs, but it was also manipulated by Pariah. And I think that's very important for those of us reading this to keep in mind that this isn't just about the innermost needs and wants and desires of the Justice League members in this, in these various issues, but pariah is also manipulating what they're experiencing because a lot of the criticisms that uh, I know flowed with the Superman issue by Tom King was, well, I mean, you could, you could criticize it saying, well, John Kent wouldn't do that or Superman wouldn't do this. And, and there was various comments that it was a little bit darker than, than some people would like. And, but then, but we can't forget that this, Pariah is having a role in this as well. And so you got to keep that in mind, I think, when you read this Green Lantern issue. Now, I like this Green Lantern issue. It has to do with Jon Stewart. He's in a, in a world, obviously, without a Justice League. And in his sort of like dream world here, he's actually he's relaxing and he's 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 living his dream life. He's, he's got his daughter there uh, and he's, he looks like his, his mother and he's living a great life. And then he gets a distress call uh, from other members of the Green Lantern Corps that are basically being attacked by this this entity that and and he's being communicated through his daughter. And apparently, oddly enough, I, I don't know. I got to be honest. I'm not really sure how I have a hard time imagining that this is that this story represents Jon Stewart's greatest dream. I so. I almost feel like there has to be some pariah manipulation going on when we when we get into reviewing Hawkgirl's greatest 
you know, greatest dream or essence. I mean, Pariah is definitely manipulating aspects in that story, in my mind, given what I know of Kendra Saunders' background. Uh, she even looks different. But as an, in any event, I thought this was really good as a Green Lantern story is that it, it focused on Jon Stewart's background as a Marine. Uh, his background as a Marine, his, uh, his character set, his personality. I thought it did a really good job in that respect. And I like the fact that it focused on that he's also an architect, that when he retired, he, he could explore being an architect. And so as a Marine, he he achieved great status as being one of the greatest Green Lanterns ever. And that's flowing a little bit from Jeffrey Thorne's run as well. Uh, and so this is a, a, a John Stewart who's at his A game. He's revered by other members of the Green Lantern Corps, and he's called upon in the Green Lantern's moment of greatest needs of greatest need and he he helps def defeat this sort of baby looking man bat omega creature that i'm assuming is related to dark side because it has an omega symbol on it and and ultimately he with, with the help of the other members of the green lantern corps he defeats the enemy he and he goes back and it ends up that his daughter is or this he, he's actually created he actually brought the daughter back to life with who's the embodiment of the of the central power battery and he's basically sort of resurrected his own daughter yeah it's his sister part of me his sister thank you yeah and uh he's resurrected his sister and i mean that's it's it's a nice story and he you know she she's kept alive she's not really alive she's kind of a construct and in the embodiment of the central power battery i'm not really sure how that you know, it's 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 weird. It's different. I, I got to wonder if this is John Stewart's dream. It really throws me off. Philip Kennedy Johnson is the writer on this one. Fernando Blanco on the art arts. Fantastic. I'm I'm really curious as to know specifically. I know Joshua Williamson stated in interviews that he he gave a lot of he did give some flexibility and leeway to Tom King, to Philip Kennedy Johnson and to other writers who are writing these various stories on terms of the 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 dreams of the, the Justice League members. And uh, but I wish I got to admit, it's it's a little bit baffling to me exactly why how Pariah is going to utilize. Is there something story specific in this Green Lantern story and in the one in Superman and in the one we're going to review in Hawkgirl coming up here as the backup? How is that or how is it all related or maybe maybe it isn't, but I'm the jury's kind of still out. I, I like the story. I like what I, I, I Philip Kennedy Johnson's got a really good handle on on John Stewart. I like the story for what it was. John Stewart's pretty cool here. I actually got I, I thought I felt more respect for John Stewart here than I even did in John. In it, it's a good follow up to Jeffrey Thorne's run, a uh, uh, 12 issue run. So what do you think of the Green Lantern story? Yeah, I thought it was just kind of average um, in terms of it, it is a bit of a throwback. You know, the whole idea of John Stewart as an architect, that's the John Stewart I know. He was never a Marine uh, when he was first created. That was a post-crisis thing. Um, and he was a little bit of a cliche. He was a little bit of the kind of tropey, angry black man. And a lot of that anger did have to do with the death of his sister. So for me, it kind of rang true that, you know, if he's looking for some sort of you know, paradise, it would be uh, kind of an idyllic existence living on a farm with his mother and his daughter or his uh, his mother and his sister being there. So so that felt very uh, authentic to me. But other than that, yeah, it did feel a little bit like the hero worship that we got from from Jeffrey Thorne for Jon Stewart. 
which in, in this case, it actually works, right? Because that's the whole yeah. point. Exactly. John, yeah. John Stewart wants to matter. He wants to be a hero. And so on that level, it, it you know works here better than it worked in, for me anyway, in yeah. uh, in Jeffrey Thorne's run. Um, I, I'm much more enjoyed the the backup story from Jeremy Adams. I did agree. I do agree with you in, in both instances uh, about, you know, whether or not. And, and I said the same thing. It was it was that hesitation about what Superman would have wanted. Yes, he'd want those years back. But would he want to live in a universe where Darkseid was taking over everything? You know, we and we talked about that. And I, and I was kind of pushing back on whether or not this, that's what was really going on. Turns out you were right. I was wrong. It is pariah, you know, trapping um, these heroes in happiness prisons, as he has referred to them. Uh, but, yeah, he's clearly manipulating because I, I just think that Kendra Saunders is too heroic to want to give up the her ability to do good by reincarnating over, you know, centuries to always come back and being able to fight the, the good fight. She just doesn't seem like that type of selfish person that would, you know, turn around and say, I, I want, I don't want to like, I, I understand. And I thought it was a, an interesting take for, uh, for Jeremy Adams to take to say, Hey, if you have no chance of dying, then life stop, you know, the shine is gone. Right. It's not special anymore. And I, I, I get that, but again, it, you're, you're reducing the heroism that's inherent in uh, in Kendra Saunders. So yeah, clearly, like you said, uh, Pry is manipulating things. So all in all, an, an average issue for me. Uh, but curious to see how Dark Crisis is. You know, it's it, the the story is starting to build out, and I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, just uh, some my own comments on the Hawkgirl issue is uh, I do find it interesting that Kendra Saunders, she looks, she, she's got a completely different hairstyle. She looks completely different. She's, she doesn't look the Kendra Saunders that we know. Uh, that's not a big deal. Her costume is completely different. And one of her dreams, apparently, and you alluded to it is she's glad that she got rid of these past lives and that she, these past lives, she feels like we're an albatross and she feels so relieved when she finally obtain obtains mortality by, by touching this, mortality vase that she that she's that she touches and that all her the memories of all her past lives are gone and she can finally be mortal again i never saw that as one of kendra saunders dreams and if it i i just i i I don't know where jeremy adams is getting that i to be honest but but i will say this i wouldn't be surprised if i'm just wrong maybe maybe kendra Jeremy Adams usually does his research. So maybe in the past, Ken, I know Kendra Saunders has expressed some, some frustrations with having past lives yeah, in the Justice League run by Scott Snyder. But I just thought, thought this was sort of an odd sort of take on it. And I, I, it didn't really like sit really well with me. All of these things are a little bit off. But, but the, the good thing about it feeling a little bit off is that Pariah is having an influence here and Pariah is even he even has a devious laugh on the final page where he's laughing. So he's having fun, sort of like tormenting the members of the Justice League. And so I think that we as readers, we have to remember that, you know, I that he, even if we don't agree with these sort of dream sequences or these happy places that the Justice League is in, I think we can't we can't forget that Pariah is playing with them and, and is having some influence as well. And so I think that's important to keep in mind. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, all right. Up next, we have I Am Batman number 12. 
Uh, this is written by John Ridley. Christian Ducey is the artist. Rex Locust on colors. Troy Petrie on letters. The right question. Uh, we get to see Renee Montoya <laughs> and Jace Fox team up. They they're investigating. Uh, they're trying to figure out, you know, what you know what's going on. Who killed Anarchy? Uh, you know, who who is kind of the the power behind this movement, and you know why. Did Anarchy, why was he traveling back and forth between Gotham? What's the link between Gotham and New York City? Does that link have something to do with uh, the question, Renee Montoya being uh, in both places? And then interspersed among that story is um, we get a lot of Tiffany Fox, uh, who, again, you know, she looks so much older when we first saw her in the I Am Batman. And now she's uh, she's very young and she's struggling to to find her place now that her family has money and um she wants to make a difference but how how can she do that so um it's a good balance between the batman action and some fox family uh drama from john ridley so you know it's starting to sound like a broken record when i talk about this book but ever since john ridley took jace fox out of new york this book this book's been firing on all cylinders um just a really interesting take if there have any complaint about this particular issue uh we don't get much Jace Fox characterization, uh, but that's kind of sacrificed for uh, character growth from Tiffany, and I'm okay with that. So, uh, again, I'll leave the whole continuity, whatever's going on with Renee Montoya, New York, Gotham City, I'll leave that alone completely. Um, the Christian Ducey art is spectacular. Um, I will say that the colors are a little brighter, it seemed to me, in this issue than we've had previously from Rex Locus. But maybe yeah. it's just because we have some scenes that are actually during the day. Um, so all in all, it's a beautiful book. And uh, yeah, I, I think everybody should be reading. <laughs> should be reading this, um, you know, notwithstanding my reservations about having two characters name the same thing, whether that's Spider-Man or Batman. Can we just give everybody their own unique name already? Um, but yeah, I, I am enjoying this. So what do you think? Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I just I wish if only John Ridley was firing on all cylinders coming out of future state. I think this would be a this would be a, a must read for everyone, because I think a lot of people gave up on uh, Jace Fox's Batman prior to this series even beginning uh, just because of the I think the editorial ups and downs of DC Comics through at and and all that other nonsense. And it's unfortunate because I think this uh, I think this really works. I'm really enjoying this Batman. This is just uh, and I, I love Jace Fox feels like his own Batman here. Jace Fox is kind of a hard ass. He's not very diplomatic here. In fact, uh, 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 kudos to the question, Rene Montoya. What this tells me as a quick aside, leave lo- Rene Montoya is she is the question. Forget about her being commissioner of Gotham. Rene Montoya, quit your job as commissioner. DC, listen up. We want Renee Montoya as the question. She's evolved past being a cop, past being involved with the PD departments. Enough already. But in any event, I really like her as the question. She really showed her skill set here when she talked down at one of the, uh, they they talked to a young man who shot uh, Anarchy uh, and Jason took notice of the fact that Renee Renee Montoya is quite good at, at talking down the young man who had uh who had a gun on them and he was one of the 
kids that had fled Gotham and, and was now living in New York City. He was one of the ones that shot Anarchy, although he never made the killing shot. Uh, Jace, if it was up to Jace Fox, Jace is not very diplomatic. And there are things that he can he's still learning as Batman. That's one thing that John Ridley's done so well here in uh, when he was up against Man Ray. He, he clearly got his butt kicked. He, he had to he had to learn from his mistakes. This is a Batman with flaws at the beginning of his career. He's not even very good at talking to. He hasn't even found his own voice in talking to whether it's juvenile delinquents or adult criminals. He's learning the ropes and he's learning the ropes in New York City of all places in a very different type of setting where he's actually working with the police department that uh, half of which don't particularly like him. And he's but he's dealing with the same level of corruption and. And in the midst of all this, we've got Rene Montoya helping him out, getting to the bottom of this anarchy investigation. You know, what was the real cause of his death? The development of the Jace Fox family. I think the Jace Fox family is quickly becoming, and you were very critical of it. And I, I, you had some very valid points early on with Future State that, you know, you weren't really feeling it. But I think uh, over the last year and a half, one of the things that's slowly been organically developing with Hills and Valleys has been the character portrayal of the of the Fox family. I think it's gotten better and better. And here with uh, with Tiffany Fox is just, you know, her struggle, her desire to want to be a hero, to want to fit in, to make a difference. And talking with her mother, who's got some resentments toward Batman as it is. And there, there's a lot of story here. And Lucius Fox, we just saw, we, we saw Luke Fox in the pages of Harley Quinn. The, the Fox family is really gaining prominence in the DC universe in a really good way that even if you're not maybe fans of the stories they're in now, they're being positioned that they're, they're, they're always there to be in the midst of a potentially really good story, depending on the writer. So I, you know, again, I, I think, I think I, I'm, I'm liking this Jace Fox Batman. I mean, I, I think this is, this is a, you know, one of the better reads this week in my mind. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious, and that's why I'm kind of interested because of the end of Dark Crisis. Like, are we going to have another reset? Will that mean Alfred comes back? Will that mean Bruce gets his fortune back? What happens to the Fox family if they're not, you know, billionaires? Does it do they still count? So, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Naomi season two, number six, final uh, issue of the series. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis and David F. Walker are the writers. Jamal Campbell does the art and cover. Wes Abbott on letters. What do you think? Uh, well, I, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my comments are the same as, as it was uh, b- before. And, um, you know, this this issue starts off. I mean, and I'm mindful of your, your scolding comments to me a couple weeks ago or three weeks ago, Jace, where you said, well, you know, geez, you know, you know how Bendis writes. So. Uh, you know, if you don't like it, maybe don't read it. But of course, we're reviewing it. But uh, so I'll, I'll cut Ben to some slack. But it's the same narrative tropes. I mean, this issue starts off with all these, you know, with various players and uh, and various citizens who are observing the battle, sort of giving you a synopsis of what's gone on. And I guess it works. Uh, we've got all the uh, we got all the villains or all the players from Naomi's homeworld finally made it to Earth. The Justice League, of course, they're off limits. They're, I guess, they're dead uh, be- because this takes place. Uh, there was some continuity wonkiness, but the Justice League are off the playing field. So it's literally Naomi against sort of like this new th- this league of of villains from her home world, and essentially this issue is a lot of dialogue 
a lot of absolutely beautiful art. I mean, beautiful art by uh, uh, Jamal Campbell. And, uh, you know, beautiful colors. Uh, but at the end of the day, it just ends with Naomi winning and, 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 put, and basically uh, pushing them back into their, uh, into their world where she, uh, you know, where, where she, uh, well, uh, she manages to defeat them. And I just, I got to correct myself. The Justice League are not dead. This is before the death of the Justice League because they show up at the end. So that just goes to show what I know. I got to, I, I got to, I got to watch what I say, but the justice league, they show up late. Uh, incredibly that huge battle takes place and the justice league shows up at the, at the end of it, after it's all done, Naomi proves herself. She kicks ass. She, I'm still a little bit confused exactly what her power set is. I, uh, her, you know, she she's got some really good moments with her friends. So there's there's friendship and bonding moments. But I personally found it all kind of unsatisfying. But at the same time, this does is it focuses more on Naomi's relationship with her parents and and Naomi herself. If you're I can definitely see a particular crowd that would really, really like this. Uh, but I I. I just wanted more action. I wanted more answers, more action. I wanted her to be in the home. I, I wanted far, far more excitement in terms of, and far more discovery of her fighting and on our earth, on their earth. And I realize it's only six issues, but there was just, I guess I'm just expecting something different. And I realized that in order to do that, it'll just have to be from a different writer because I just find this to be, you know, I, I found this to be ultimately predictable, predictable and boring, uh, beautiful visuals, but boring. And we, cause we don't know, we don't know really anything more about Naomi than we did at the end of her first series, except the only difference now is that we, we have, we had her fight off and attack by herself, except without the help of the justice league. So now we know that Naomi has more confidence and that it basically ends with her. It's, you know, taking off, going to explore her own home world. And that will presumably be volume three and four and five and six, where she's exploring her, her original home world. And so this is going to be very, very slow going. And, and maybe that, you know, that's, that's, this is Bendis's baby. That's the way this is going to go. This is a very slow moving story. Uh, but there might be some rewards that come with developing a story like that as well, because this is definitely uh, more dialogue and, and plotting and character based. But I, uh, but it's just fair to say that it's not my particular cup of tea in regard to how I like to see a comic book paste, uh, but a beautiful art. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say I wish I could say I disagree. I, I tried to defend this Um you know, as much as I could. And, you know, I talked to Brian, he, he basically told me, yeah, this six issues was going to really explore the relationship between Naomi and his parents or and her parents. And on that level, it certainly works. Um, but to your point, and we've talked about this before, a character that's been around as long as she has, it's been kind of wonky. At first, I thought that this series was taking place right after the first one ended. Turns out, no, it's taking place after the, her, you know, her, um, her appearances in the Justice League run that Bendis did. And so, yeah, just the pacing, it's just going way too slow. So I can understand wanting to establish what the relationship between Naomi and her parents is like um, and giving that context. But, you know, to your point, we, we don't even know who Naomi is or who her powers, what her powers really are yet. And on that point, 
we find out halfway through here that her powers change. Finds out from her her auntie that lives in the other world that her uh, her next power now your next powers are manifesting. Like yeah. man, we didn't even get a handle on what her first power set is, and she's already <laughs> getting a second power set. Like uh, it's yeah, it's a it's a little bit. I don't want to say confusing. It, it just feels like there's parts missing. Um, like they didn't m- maybe necessarily have enough room, enough real estate, enough space on the page because we do get really big panels, which when it's Jamal Campbell doing the art and the colors, you want big panels. You want to be able to see the detail. You want to be able to see all, you know, the wonderful artwork and line work that he does. So I get that, but you're sacrificing, you know, storytelling space. And so it just, it ends up, like you said, feeling not only predictable, but a little bit boring because we're missing, we're missing like crucial parts of the story where, like, if you want me to care about a superhero, like I need to know, I need to know what their powers are, you know, at, at the very least. Yeah. And we've never gotten a good, good handle on what those powers are. Now, what I will say, what I did enjoy is I did like the ending, even though it was rather predictable that Naomi saved the day. Um, I do like this idea of her off exploring her, you know, original homeworld on her own without any backup, because that's where she can really find out who she is yeah. now as much as I love Jamal Campbell on this book, maybe it's time for another artist to come in who doesn't need, you know, as much space on the page to tell the story where we can get, you know, a little more bang for our buck. And and if that means it's got to be somebody other than Bendis doing it, you know, David Walker, then maybe that's the case. But unfortunately I think probably the deal that Bendis signed with DC, he probably has, you know, right of first refusal, but I don't know that for sure. Maybe DC could put somebody else on, on Naomi. Um, whether that would work or not, I, I don't know. But ultimately, I, I ended up being a little bit underwhelmed after loving the first volume. Uh, I just thought this volume was okay. I thought the first three issues were strong, but the last three issues were just average. Because again, like Rocky said, that it fell into kind of paint by the numbers where you kind of knew what was going to happen before it happened. And just, yeah, not enough space to really... Um, let the character shine. Like we still don't know. Like why does why does Naomi's symbol why why is the symbol on her chest the White Lantern symbol? I I I don't know. I've always been a little confused at that. And to be honest with you, I've never really looked explored and, and really sought the answer to that question. And I I I seem to recall that I don't even know if it's if if it's supposed to be. I think isn't that just. I always thought that know, it, just, a, it was it was a coincidence. That's a big coincidence. But, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe somebody in the comments can can tell us what we're missing. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. up next we have Future State Gotham number sixteen, Batman at War Part Four, Imposter Syndrome, written by Dennis Culver. Art is by Jaffo, co- covered by Simone DeMeo. There's no colors, uh, lettered by Troy Petrie. There's no there's no colorist. Uh, black and white comic. I won't belabor that point. We've talked about it before. Um, there are a heck of a lot of Batman in here. We've got Hush wow. being Batman. We've got Nightwing being Batman. We've got Bruce Wayne back being Batman. We've got Damian Wayne being Batman 666 back from hell. So there's a whole heck of a lot of Batman and they're starting to be whittled down. Um, but it almost seems like Nightwing is they're moving him over from being a the, the hero. Like, Poor Dick Grayson, man. The guy gets shot in the head by KGB, loses his memory, becomes Rick Grayson. 
Um, everybody is up in arms, fans, as well as the actual characters in DCU. And then he gets his memory back and everybody celebrates and it's the Dick Grayson we all know and love. And he embodies what heroism is in the DCU. And then they become the king of the vampires <laughs> in DC versus vampires. He's targeted for assassination in his own book uh, by Blockbuster. And now in the pages of Future State Gotham, he's become like this anti-hero, almost villain guy who says, I, only I can be Batman. No one else can be Batman. No one else can, should even be uh, out here on the streets of Gotham wearing a mask. Do what the magistrate tells you. I know everything because I took brain, which is the mental equivalent of the venom. What venom does for your physical body this brain does for your mind. And so he can predict the future and knows all and, and you know, all the bat family dies unless they stop being the bat family and only uh, <laughs> Nightwing can continue and be Batman. And like, he's actively fighting against the other members of the bat family here. So yeah, it, it, I don't know what's going on. I'm who's the bad guy. Like who's the good guy. Who are we supposed to be cheering for? So hush, I, I don't know. Hush, like, hush, yeah. Hush is like, the big has become the big bad in the series and he had um plastic surgery so he now looks like bruce wayne as well um but also you could say that damian wayne batman 666 from hell is the bad guy like there, there's no real i, I mean uh, in that way if if and I, I i'm sort of thinking this is exactly what dc wants they want right. a book that's very manga like in terms of there's not really a good guy. There's not really a bad guy. There's no color. It's black and white. It's got this Asian influenced art. Um, I think it's, this book is filling exactly the role that they want it to fill. Uh, but for somebody like me, uh, who's not a big, you know, manga fan, I haven't read a lot of manga in my life. Um, th this book has just been wildly inconsistent. It's gone up and down. Like at times I'm like, okay, I, I see where they're going. I'm enjoying this. And there's times like this, like this issue where I'm just like, I, I there, it feels like they're throwing everything at the wall to try to see what sticks. Um, yeah. But it's not super interesting to me. Yeah. It just, it uh, feels like they're trying to force a round peg into a square hole. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it's okay. I'm, I'm continuing to read it. I will say that I, I do prefer the Jaffo art to the Janus uh, Milano Janus art. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's, it's only okay for me. There is a Batman black and white story. And at least it's one from way back by Cyrus Voris and Chris, ba Chris Bocciolo. Um, I, that's okay. Uh, but again, I, I'm not just stop with the backups already and charge a dollar less. You're already not giving us colors for four ninety nine. Just make it three ninety nine and take the, the backups out. So anyway, I, any thoughts well, on that? Uh, well, as far as the backup, I have that backup story. What a mess. I have no idea what the hell that story was. <laughs> I, have, I, I honestly, I, I, I read it three times and I have no idea. I actually read it because I was so intrigued by the fact that it didn't make sense the first time I read it. So I figured, well, <laughs> then it didn't make sense the second time I read it. And I'm now I completely gave up the third time. Like I, I'm, I'm baffled by it. But uh, I mean, I guess yeah, it's very... enough art, but I, I yeah. don't get it. I don't. I don't understand it. I, this is, um, I'm so baffled by this. The, the, the nicest thing I can say about the main story is the art by Jeffo. He goes out of his way because there's so damn many Batman that <laughs> yeah. it forces the artist to give ridiculous costumes to all of them to distinguish them apart. Cause otherwise 
a doughhead like me couldn't tell them apart. Well, especially because uh, they're all black and white. You can't even well, use. That's color. what I mean. Like I, you know what, 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 what reading this makes me realize more than ever is just how much I appreciate colorists. If you, if you're a Batman reader and you've read Batman your whole life, if you want to have a new appreciation for the God love the colorists out there, if you want to, this makes me have a new appreciation for coloring because wow, I, you know, I, I was still confused, but I mean, I mean, fortunately, I mean, Nightwing here drawn as Batman. I mean, he's he claims to be Batman, although he kind of has a Nightwing look to him. He looks I think he looks ridiculous with the point. Like, but I mean, I, I mean, it's almost like, the, again, Jofo, the artist, whatever, had to basically do that to distinguish the characters. He reminds I, me. Yeah, it reminds me of those paper Burger King crowns. <laughs> <laughs> that you as a little kid. That's what it reminds. He's got the uh, Batman equivalent of a Burger King paper crown. Yeah, it looks ridiculous. Like it just, and, and and not only that. I mean, aside from looking ridiculous, I mean, this is supposed to be Future State. Now, I've you know most of us have totally forgotten and forget about Future State. We want to forget it because it wasn't that great a storyline. And and then I'm wondering, these are a bunch of Batman fighting over a mantle, but meanwhile. Aren't you supposed to be fighting for the people? Like I, I thought, Future State Gotham was terrible for the people. Like these, these are these are these are a bunch of white men jerking off, a circle jerking over who gets to be the the, the Dark Knight. This is ridiculous. And then and then Barbara's in there for good for good measure, along with the that other that other crazy. I, I don't get it. Like it, this, it's like this is like watching five or six bald men fight over a comb. Like. Who cares? I mean, I, I don't care which one ends up as Batman. Does it matter? It's future state. Like I just, but anyways, I've, I've vented like that before, but anyways, I just, I, I, I keep waiting. I don't know why this series hasn't been canceled. I'd be very blunt, but it keeps coming out and it's, and it's like, clearly it's got the cheapest budget. They don't have a colorist. That must be why they keep publishing it. I don't know, but. Uh, <laughs> I think it sells pretty well. I, th- yeah, I really do. It's, I, well, it's, you're actually it actually uh, I'm, I'm sad to report in my mind. It, it, you're right. It does actually sell higher than uh, a surprising number of DC comics. And uh, I guess maybe that's just a sign of, of the times. You know, I'm, I'm getting old and I got to get I got I got to embrace more of a manga type of comic book. I, I did. I did read and review my first uh, manga comic book, Chainsaw Man, the other day, uh, but uh, and I enjoyed it. So so who knows? Maybe this will start something. But I, I just can't see myself embracing this type of, uh, you know, at least when I read Chainsaw Man, there was only one Chainsaw Man, not five. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Nubia, Queen of the Amazons, number three. Can't believe we're already on the third issue of the series written by Stephanie Williams. Aletha Martinez is the penciler. Mark Morales and John Livesey with Aletha Martinez on inks, oh, Alex man. Gormas on colors, and Becca Carey on letters. What do you think about this? <laughs> I knew you were going to make me go first. <laughs> I'm gonna, it's like, oh man, I got to look. <laughs> I'm going to try to. Uh, I, I, I just this this. Oh man, I. Uh, I I'm just not. I, I'm not feeling this. I, I don't really get this this whole um let me try to put the most positive spin on this that i can nubia you know writer stephanie williams uh the best thing i can say about her writing is that she very clearly is passionate about nubia and she she wants to prop up the queen nubia and nubia is queen but uh it's quite clear that nubia doesn't 
if she wants to be queen, she's certainly not acting like one. She she wants to do everything but be queen. I mean, I, I think Queen Nubia is having a hard time distinguishing between. Look, if you're a queen, you have you have a Wonder Woman, you have an Artemis, you've got numerous Wonder Girls. I mean, send them out to do your errands for you. You're not supposed to do it yourselves, but that's not what Queen Nubia wants to do. I get it, but it you know it just it seems a little bit off, but. That's that's a that's a side criticism there. I mean, Wonder Woman's done that, too. In the new 52, she was both queen and she ran off and did her Justice League gallivanting. So, yeah, cut her some slack there. So I shouldn't be a hypocrite there. Uh, I like the origin here. I like that uh, she meets uh, uh, Queen Nubia in one of her past lives. We've uh, in her original life. Uh, queen Nubia was this character called uh, 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 Princess uh, Zahava. Zahava, and she was uh, ultimately killed in Madagascar long ago, and she was murdered, and she eventually came, and her soul rose up through the Well of Souls on Paradise Island, where she was She was the first woman, to abused woman on Man's World to, to be resurrected through the Well of Souls on Paradise Island, and ultimately, of course, became Nubia, and then ultimately Queen Nubia, and and one of her, uh, she ends up meeting this Zyla character, who ends up being her this Zila character was her, I guess, her daughter in a past life. I, I don't know if it was her daughter. Definitely. No, she was a mentor for a her. mentor or something. Yeah. Yeah. And and apparently this this if I'm if I'm am I saying that right? Zila or Zilla? Zilla. Yeah. Zilla. She's she's still alive. And and uh, through an extraordinary set of coincidences, Zilla happens to be the one woman she happens to be battling because Nubia decides to go off to Africa to combat climate change or something and ends up her this this amulet that she has. She's got half this amulet that apparently has is some sort of power source that lo and behold, out of nowhere, Zilla just shows up. And basically, they have this long protracted conversation and while they're fighting, which is at least good. Stephanie Williams has gotten better because in her first Nubia series, her limited series, Nubia would just have the Amazons talk and, and don't do any fighting. We would get conversation after conversation after conversation. But at least here, when they're when they're talking, we're, we're getting some dialogue in the midst of some pretty cool action scenes that are, I think, are just beautifully uh, rendered by artist uh, Alisa Martinez. So I like the art. I like the flashback sequences. I just I'm just questioning where it's all going to go because Zilla uh, or Zilla ends up taking the the half the amulet and. Where she's going to go with it, I'm not sure. Uh, Wonder Girl here actually gets, Yara Ford gets some action here. And actually it gets her ass handed to her in a few places. But they, it's actually, it, it's actually not bad. It's one of Stephanie Williams' better issues, to be honest with you. I just, it just feels like, it doesn't feel like it's really going anywhere. Because now Nubia is going to follow where she is going to follow Zilla around the globe to, because apparently there's this God that's going to be resurrected when they put the two amulets together and Zilla wants to obtain the power of this God. So there's, there's a semblance of a story here that's brewing, but I just, I'm not really sure if I'm feeling the stakes, you know, it just, it feels a little bit, it feels kind of disjointed and it, it still feels too dialogue heavy, uh, but it is better. 
I, I think it is better and there's more action than in her, her first series. So Stephanie Williams, I am seeing some improvement in her pacing and in her structure and, and, and the art continues to be really good for this series. It just, it isn't really, um, I'd still like a little bit more. I wish the plot was just more state. I wish it was more exciting. It, it never feels like even through trial of the Amazons, it did. It never felt exciting enough to me, you know, and, and even the action here, the action was, was just as a backdrop because it was just to back up a conversation where we, well, we got, we got some much needed information. So that was good, but it was, it was clearly fighting for the sake of fighting because otherwise there'd be no action in the issue, Uh, (laughs) you know? So it's, so it, it felt, I know it's a comic book and I, you know, that's common for a comic book, but I just, I, I, I do wish I'm not sure where this is going, but it doesn't really feel like there's a lot at stakes. And I, I just wish the stakes were higher. And this Zilla character, it just sort of feels like this Zilla character is sort of like sort of like a carbon copy of the equivalent of what Diana is to uh, Queen Hippolyta. You know, uh, she's going to. Uh, but but I guess that's interesting. It, you know, we're we're getting more diversity in in the Themyscira diversity in the Wonder Woman mythology. This Zilla character, she's uh, you know Yarathor referred to her as a James Bond type of villain, and 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 this and Zilla said you know I'm better. So um, it's it's all well and good. I what this series needs is an actual villain that that isn't going to be redeemed, uh, a real badass, and somebody that's not interested in in you know being shown mercy and supplication and all this other nonsense. Uh, but I, I don't think that where this is going, but I don't know. how do you feel about it, Jace? Yeah, I don't, don't disagree. This is probably my least favorite um, issue of the series so far. And I get that it's an Amazonian book. And so it's going to be political. Uh, I go back to Stephanie Williams, you know, when we first got the backup of Nubia and how much action there was in, in that, um, and so, yeah, I feel like she hasn't quite gotten the hang of balancing the action with the dialogue yet. Um, Cause yeah, this was really dialogue heavy and I get that you're trying to establish stakes and, you know, uh, to your point about Nubia needing to stay on the Island as queen. Like I, I totally agree with you. Maybe that's the lesson that Stephanie Phillips or Stephanie Williams is, is about to teach Nubia. So I guess we'll have to wait and see, but yeah, it's, it's just, I don't, I mean, her passion for the character, like you said, very much comes through, but um, you used the word disjointed. I think that's the best word to use to describe the series so far. It's just been sort of uneven. It's not bad, um, and you can see the potential there, certainly, but it's felt disjointed at times, and I, I'm just kind of waiting for uh, Stephanie to kind of hit her stride. Um, the saving grace is Aletha Martinez has been working with her the entire time, that she's been doing Nubia and the art has been fantastic throughout. So, um, I, I, you know, maybe when it's all said and done and we read the whole thing, uh, it'll balance out better because we'll get some issues with, you know, less dialogue (laughs) as one of the things you can say in terms of comic value, you're never going to pick up a Nubia Stephanie Williams comic and not, you know, spend some time with it (laughs) because, it takes a while to get through because there's always so much dialogue. So yeah, um, yeah hasn't quite hit its stride yet, but I'm, I'm still hopeful. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Superman son of Kal-El number 14 from Tom Taylor. Art is by Cian Tormey colors by Frederico Blee letters by Dave Sharp. This was a heck of a lot of fun. 
uh, had a little bit of a heist feel in it when um, basically Lois Lane exposes through uh, the truth network that she has agreed to join. She's exposed Bendix and what he's been up to with proof. And so Bendix uh, is kind of backed into a corner. And so he raises this storm shield, this energy shield over the island of Gamora to basically prevent anybody from coming after him, uh, which leads uh, John Kent to take his boyfriend Jay and drop him from very, very high up with his intangibility powers to kind of break through. So that's, that was a fun moment. Again, a little bit of a heist feel to it. Um, and he's able to take down the shield. Now Jay himself doesn't take down the shield, but it's a great character moment for Gamora uh, as an Island and the, and the citizens, you know, he, he shows up in the lab where the button is to turn the shield off. Uh, and he, I mean, he's kind of in a catch 22. If he, makes himself tangible so he can actually press the button to turn the shield off. First of all, they could just turn it right back on. Second of all, he's making himself vulnerable. So I love it. He appeals to them. He's like, look, I'm here. We're going to free Gamora. We're going to get rid of Bendix. I'm asking you to choose between dictator and country. And I love it. One of the scientists turns it off and says, destroy Bendix. It was just a really, really great moment. You know, like Rocky said earlier, one of the things that Tom Taylor excels at is those, those character moments, those emotional beats. And, and that landed for me. Really, 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 really well. Unfortunately for Jay, it ends on an emotional moment as well, because even though he's intangible, um, you know, Dreamer tells John Kent, hey, Jay needs you. And Superman's like, what are you talking about? He's invulnerable. Uh, Not to this. And what we see is that Bendix has mutated his mother. She has these really long, looks almost like insect-like claws and her jaw has been altered and yeah, she, she doesn't look like she's uh, probably even able to recognize Jay as her son. So she's been manipulated. She's been modified. That's got to be hard for Jay to see his, his mother like that. So uh, quite the cliffhanger to end on. So, um, you know, we can debate on whether or not this whole Gamora storyline is really what we, I would want from a Superman story, but I will say it definitely suits the characterization that Tom Taylor has sort of established with John Kent throughout, you know, this uh, more global thinking Superman, this more active Superman um, activist Superman, even if you will. Um, So he certainly has been consistent in his characterization. So uh, what, and I I thought, again, the art was by C and Torme was really great. And the colors by Frederick, Frederico Blee are bright as you would expect from uh, the tone that, um, that Taylor established. So what do you think? Well, I, I think that uh, uh, I have, I, I reflect back on Tom Taylor's suicide squad run because the, the revolutionaries here that are helping that are joining truth, the revolutionaries are the old or Tom Taylor suicide squad really. And they're, they're helping Jay Nakamura. And uh, John Kent uh, to uh, attack the island nation of Gamora to rescue, to basically rescue the people, free the people, and ultimately rescue Jane Nakamura's mother. And I actually really like the dialogue, uh, the the character moments as John Kent speaks to the revolutionaries, speaks to the the same characters uh, that were in uh, Tom Taylor's Suicide Squad run, who are you know many of them. One in particular uh, are killers. They're killers, but yet you can see that John Kent, like his father 
inspires them to embrace the better angels of their nature and to not use lethal force. And I thought that Tom Taylor did a good job with that. Now, one of the things that uh, I've mentioned before and and I've uh, and I've, I've slowly gotten more of an appreciation for is that it is sort of a it's a it's an ongoing uh nerd controversy or whatever amongst us comic geeks that, you know, well, Lois Lane becoming a reporter reporting for truth and truth is affiliated with Jane Nakamura, who's affiliated now with these revolutionaries who used to be affiliated with the suicide squad. There's that's a kind of, I, I, you can see that being a disturbing relationship because you could see, well, they were, they did work for a man, you know, I mean, they were affiliated with the suicide squad. So you could, you, it, even in, in any world, you can, say hmm like that's kind of a disturbing political affiliation but what what's interesting here is it's john kent's it's his it's his it's his portrayal of a superman coming into his own where he's inspiring them where he he does give them validity that his mere presence even being the son of superman he i think he does give them some credence there so i actually my favorite part of the comic book was his conversation with with the with the entire with the the entire former suicide squad. I thought that worked very well because it's if he's not going to nail down that relationship and I'm talking about Chaos Kitten, Osita and Jog and uh TNT, uh Thylacline, Zebra Man, the Airy Wink, the Deadly Six and Finn. These are characters that you we've previously seen in Bad Blood Suicide Squad by Tom Taylor and to see them back here and these are real badass hardcore killers when they want to be uh, most of them anyway, and for, be, for for John Kent to inspire them to not use lethal force and to maintain that. And we'll see if that's if they can continue that uh, as this moves forward. It'll be interesting to see, especially Osita. And so I actually thought that was the most inspiring part of the issue. And because one of the things that you and I have talked about, Chase, and I know it's been one of your central criticisms early on is this doesn't feel like Superman. He hasn't earned his place yet. And this is an issue where I'm beginning to see the rumblings of him showing some signs of earning that place of standing up of, of being instead of, instead of just referencing his father, but, John Kent himself slowly becoming that beacon of hope that we all want him to be as the son of Kal-El. So I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, you know, I thought it was, you know, again, it continued improving cause I'm a tough nut to crack. Cause I was, you know, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of reluctant embracing this John Kent cause I'm still, I'm still, I still suffer PTSD over the whole John Kent aged up thing. So. <laughs> yeah. I think we all do. Uh, all right, well, let's move on. We have Wonder Woman number 790 up next. It's the finale of The Villainy of Our Fears. Michael W. Conrad and Becky Clunan on the script. Emmanuel Lupacchino, Jose Luis and Eduardo Pansica on pencils. Wade Von Grobinger and Julio Ferrer on inks. Tamara Von Villan on colors and Pat Broso on letters. Uh, the last of Dr. Psycho for a while, I would think. What'd you think? Oh, man, I... Um... Well, first of all, a shout out to the cover. I love the cover. It's a it's the hallmark. It's a callback to uh, Greg Rucka's Haikisha or Haiketia. I'm not sure. I always mispronounce it, but the classic uh, Wonder Woman hardcover by J.G. Jones and Greg writer Greg Rucka. Uh, so uh, you, the classic cover has Wonder Woman's boot on on Batman's face. In this case, it has Wonder Woman's boot on uh, Doctor Cycle, and. Um, this issue, I, I have to say, I, I'm at, I'm, I'm, 
there's so much that is I find so disappointing with this issue for me. I don't even know where to start. Other, but I mean, I'm not sure if it's the fact that it's Etta Candy that defeats half the villains, villain, villainy incorporated all by herself because they're that incompetent. Uh, Professor Calculus, she uh, she outwits and is a better mathematical whiz at calculating odds than uh, Dr. M- Mr. Calculus himself. Uh, then she she helps Steve Trevor and uh uh, the other guy whose name I forget, uh, defeat uh, Dr. Poison, both fairly uh, not particularly compelling villains at all. Not not much of a threat at all. Uh, Wonder Woman's an afterthought, really. She's not really needed. She ultimately shows up at the end uh, and she gives a, you know, again, once 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 again, Wonder Woman gives a she gives a really good speech to Dr. Cycle, uh, who, of course, is I mean, his his misogyny is just. I mean, it's it's crazy. And and, Doc, you know, in fairness, Dr. Psycho is a misogynist bastard. OK, he is. I just find this is really in your face and overplayed here. Uh, I, I, let me rephrase that. I want to you can take a character and make them misogynist, but also make them interesting in an evil kind of way. But this Dr. Psycho is he's actually a joke. He's a parody. I said this before. He's just not interesting. He's not intelligent. He's not smart. He's just a ranting, raving lunatic. And to make it even worse, at the end, he find it's discovered that he's actually that the big villain behind the scenes is actually Hera, who, I mean, another continuity blunder. Hera's supposed to be dead, killed with the quintessence, but then she came back, and then I thought she was killed in Graveyard of the Gods, but then she was resurrected, and then Hera was defeated by. Yara Flora or Cassie Landsmark and Wonder Girl. And now Hera is back uh, creating machinations against Wonder Woman. Why? I'm not really sure. Why does Hera care? Why does Hera using Villainy Incorporated? Hera's behind creating all these manufacturing plants that are producing this milk, this, I mean, literally <laughs> manifest your destiny and having all these, these men drink milk to turn them all into misogynists. And and what is is this the big threat that we need Wonder Woman to combat? Is this is this part of Hera's evil plan to uh, it, it, does Hera hate all men? What's the I don't understand why I'm supposed like I, I just don't understand what this is supposed to what the point of this story is. And then we, we have this sweetheart character who's from the image maker who Dr. Psycho just uses her as a way to to magnify just how much of a jerk he is toward women calls her sweetheart all the time. And, you know, just, he gets to be more of a jerk to her. So it, you know, just we're constantly reminded how much of a male chauvinist pig doc, Dr. Psycho is, and he ends up killing her and, and wonder woman, like this, this is not an A-level threat here. This is, this is not, this is something where I don't think wonder woman needed to be in this issue. I think I, I see no reason why Steve Trevin ate a candy. Couldn't, couldn't have defeated all of them all by themselves. It, it, Wonder Woman came back to save us from a lurking threat in the from the multiverse to fight to fight a misogynist. Like, come on! Like, I just I'm so disappointed in this. And again, the uh, the art is is great. The art's fantastic. Uh, I think it was a little bit creative with with Doctor Psycho and u- utilizing his powers. I mean, visually it w- works well. But Doctor Psycho is not power, powerful enough to defeat Wonder Woman. Dr. Poison's not particularly powerful. She's a joke. Uh, Professor Calculus is, is a joke. Everyone here is a joke. And my biggest criticism here is that none of these villains were developed. We didn't get, to, you know, 
Dr. Poison can be a sympathetic character. She delve into her origins, focus on the villains. I mean, fo- fo- tell me something why I should care about Dr. Villain. I mean, Dr. Psycho developed terribly. Image Maker was, was a one dimensional character. Dr. Poison's one dimensional. Dr. Psycho's one dimensional. Uh, we even had the, 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 the one uh, 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 Dr. Dr. Deception. What was he? This deception, these. That this the deceptor god, deception god last I it doesn't matter. It's unimportant. This is just this whole thing is so disappointing to me. And then to find out at the end that now we're gonna uh, we're gonna get her coming back as Diana Prince. I actually kind of like that. Uh I like Diana Prince, but if ever there was a creative team that I wish would just leave the title and not develop anything to do with Diana Prince, it, it it's this one. I just it's so disappointing here. This whole thing is played like a joke to me and it just feels uh, it, it just, there, there's just no care and attention is played to any of these characters. Not a single character is getting any kind of development or justice in a way that I find compelling. And I just, you know, I'll stop talking now, Jace, cause I'll, I'll lose my diplomacy. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I can't hear you. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't think it was as bad as you uh, as you did. Uh, I, I agree with you that it, it did feel like Wonder Woman was a bit of an afterthought. I mean, she's really pissed off. Um, <laughs> and we know that she defeats Dr. Psycho, but that even happens off panel. We even yeah. get the payoff of him getting his comeuppance, getting, you know, beat on by a woman. Um, so, yeah, she's clearly fired up. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I can't disagree with you that ultimately Villainy Incorporated was pretty incompetent. And you kind of wonder if Etta Candy was able to defeat them the way she was. Why did it take this many issues for them to be defeated in the first place? Uh, um, yeah. So, yeah, I still have faith in Clunan and Conrad that they can that they can do something. And maybe it's, uh, you know, shifting away from Wonder Woman in costume and going to the Diana Prince. You know, I think back to those early issues where she was traveling through different mythological lands. Those were pretty solid. So, um, you know, maybe yeah. I mean, I've never been a fan of Dr. Psycho. I think he's a two dimensional villain. I think he's very challenging to make interesting and compelling. And, you know, they maybe they're still finding their footing with Wonder Woman and they weren't quite up to the task. Um, I'm intrigued by this idea of Hera as a as a villain. Maybe it's Cersei as my thought this um you know masquerading as hera i guess we'll see so yeah i'm 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 hopeful for the future um but ultimately this was yeah average at best um there's no other way to put it uh all right up next we have the jurassic league this is from writers juan gedeon and daniel warren johnson art is by juan gedeon and john michael colors by mike spicer letters by farron delgado uh, a lot of action in this issue, and as you can kind of see developing this egg that eventually cracks open, it's exactly the big bad you expect it to be. It's um, Darkilocide. <laughs> Darkilocide, yeah. Yes. Weird. <laughs> so this, it's it's this dark side version of a, a dinosaur. Uh, I don't really have much else to add. I mean, this is scratching an itch for some younger readers probably. Um, although like we've said before, so much violence, um, I, I still don't think this comic is necessarily for me. I think the best thing about this particular issue is the, uh, Brett Booth cover. Brett Booth is a big dinosaur 
fan and illustrates uh, dinosaurs, you know, in a as realistic a possible, uh, realistic a way as possible. So it's great that he gets to do a, a dinosaur cover. Um, and if if there were dinosaur versions of these Justice League characters, this is probably what they would look like. So um, it's okay. It's mildly interesting. It, it hasn't really resonated with me since the first issue, and that hasn't changed. So. This is issue four of six. We got two left after this. What do you think? Uh, well, I, I had a lot of fun with this. And and like you said, you're either, you know, everyone knows what they're getting with this. Uh, this is this is just crazy, batty, nutty fun. And I got to say that the uh, kudos to the, the, the uh, Gideon on, on the art here, who basically does a good job duplicating <laughs> Daniel Warren Johnson's art. Uh, I actually think it's ideally suited for this type of story, this Jurassic League, this dinosaur story. I like it much better. As and and uh, no disrespect to the uh, the the cover B by uh, uh, who's the artist? Did you say it was that? Uh, it's Juan Gideon and, and on the I cover, can't remember. yeah, on the on the alternate. Oh, Brett cover. Booth. Brett Booth. Brett Booth. Yeah. yeah. Brett Booth is a good artist, but I would definitely prefer Gideon uh, on this on this style on this particular story because I just he just th- this is this is a ridiculous over the top dinosaur story with dinosaurs as the superheroes and I just I love it I love the I love the fate of Black Black Mantosaurus as he's killed by Darkly Darkly Side who reaches a hand out of the egg to crush and kill him I love the attitude of uh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know what the hell is Aquaman or, or whatever he's called Aquamanosaurus or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's nuts. It's just nuts. It's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. Uh, green lantern, uh, green. I don't even know what the green torch as he's green called. Torch, I yeah. mean, I, of what a name, the green torch. Uh, he defeats Atrocitor, Atrocitorus. And uh, ultimately at the end, we know that dark side, darkly, darkly side, breaks out of his egg and he's, he's traveling. He's going to be going to Themyscira Island to destroy and kill all the, the God, the goddess dinosaurs. And uh, I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is a lot of fun. You got the, you got the heart of Superman uh, with his, uh, you know, gets along with his, he was raised by his human tribe, tribe members. And uh, the, the essence is there. And I think that uh, this is definitely have an audience and, but, you know, it's funny because I find that this you can have a lot of fun with this because there's actually some decent character development here that, OK, it's, it's tropey, but only we can only call it tropey because we're so familiar with the analog characters of Batman, Wonder Woman, you know, Justice League, et cetera, et cetera. But this actually feels this is uniquely you know, structured toward a bat, uh, a dinosaur kind of universe. And it's fun. And that's kind of what I like about it. And there's a couple of odd surprises in there in the narrative. And it's, you know, like I said, it's a lot of fun. And it's, uh, you know, it may not be for everybody, but uh, I think that for some reason, I'm just, I'm just waiting for Todd McFarlane to do, uh, to, I want, I want to see some action figures. I want to, I want to get the action figure of Darkly, darkly low side uh on the when it comes out you know because i want that to be in the mcfarland line of toys that would be pretty cool so <laughs> yeah yeah i can't say that i disagree with you there it would be would be cool to see so uh all right up next we have batman urban legends there are five stories here batman and the outsiders part one written by brandon thomas alberto jimenez albuquerque on art john calis on color steve wands on letters and there's a Batman demon story, Batman and the 
uh, Batman and Etrigan in Blood In, Blood Out from writer Henry Barajas. Third Jakuna is the artist, Dave McKay on colors and Hassan Atzman Elhau on letters. And then the Pennyworth Files, Chapter One, The Fall of the Scales. Story and art by Chris Burnham, Nathan Fairbairn on colors, Russ Wooten on letters. Batman and Robin in Night Terrors by Tinny Howard and Blake M. Howard. Max Rainers on art, Hi-Fi on colors, Josh Reed on letters. And then finally, Bell and Bow, Greg Hahn is the writer, Mike Norton is the artist, Marisa Louise on colors, Travis Lanham on letters. Uh, I thought Far and Away, The Signal and The Outsiders, part one by Brandon Thomas was the best story. I really appreciated the album. Uh, Alberto Jimenez Albuquerque art. Typically, he doesn't do superhero stuff, but I thought he did a, a really bang up job. I'm not a big fan of Duke Thomas. Um, I do like the outsider sort of uh, template that Brent Thomas has set up previous in Batman Urban Legend stories, where it's a, you know, the four person team of Katana, Black Lightning, The Signal, and Metamorpho. And then that fifth person rotates based on who needs the help of the other heroes. I really like that idea. And I love at the end of this, that Batman says, I'm going to be the rotating guy. We're going to finally find uh, Duke Thomas's mom. And uh, we're, you know, we're not going to give up until we find out who took her, where she is and whatnot. So I really appreciated that. Um, I just feel like Duke Thomas, he, he's just a boring character. You know, even the idea of he's the signal, he's the bat character, Batman family character that it goes out during the day. Like, I don't know. He's just never, I almost feel like Scott Snyder introduced him with no real plan. And again, I don't know if that's the truth or not, or if he ran out of space or whatever, but he just, I know he was never meant to be Robin. I'm glad he never became Robin. Um, but he's just, he's always been kind of boring to me. And so I do appreciate that Brandon Thomas is making him interesting. Um, the Batman and Etrigan story uh, was a little confusing, to be honest. It kind of jumped around. Um, it was a little hard to follow. I thought the art by Serge Acuna was really strong, though. Uh, it was cool to see Alfred. I'm a big Alfred fan. I miss him so much in the main DCU. So the Pennyworth Files, where he, uh, uh, Alfred was investigating and, you know, almost thinking to himself, oh, so you're the world's greatest stick. Because he calls Batman at one point to check in. <laughs> and then Batman's, he's like, is this life and death? All right, we can talk later then, because Batman himself is in a life and death situation. And Alfred gets out the phone. He's like, oh, so you think you're the world's greatest detective. It's almost like there's this rivalry going. So that was kind of interesting. The Batman and Robin night terror story I thought was, it was good. Uh, I don't know if it would be memorable, but it does um, give some insight into Batman's um, kind of the trauma. I mean, obviously we all think about the trauma that Jason Todd underwent when Joker killed him with a crowbar. Um, but you know, the, the, there's long lasting trauma for Batman there too. And, and it was interesting to see Tinny and Blake, uh, explore that. And then I really liked the bell and bow story by Greg Hahn. Um, I thought the Mike Norton art was really strong as well. And it definitely sets up, um, uh, something more for those characters to come uh, in the, in the future. You know, they're these characters that are definitely in kind of dead end jobs, you know, getting crapped on. Uh, and finally are fed up and go on this like Bonnie and Clyde type um, crime spree. And even Batman shows a little mercy at the end and, and lets them get away. So uh, be interesting to see when they show up again. So all in all, a solid issue, you know, kind of an average issue, not, not just definitely not close to the strongest issue of Batman urban legends. Um, but I did really like that signal story. So what were your thoughts on these? 
Uh, I the, the only story I really liked are Bell and the Bell and Bow because it was a Bonnie and Clyde story and it was ten pages long. Uh, the rest of the issue that I I I was just very disappointed with it, quite frankly. Now I will say in defense of the Signal story, I the Signal is a character that has gotten completely, you know. I think he's been extremely mishandled by DC. I, when Scott Snyder created him, there was a, I think there was a lot of nonsense at, at first trying to, because for the longest time, he never even had a name. Like he didn't even actually had a name. Finally, they, they gave him the name signal. And then there were, then his powers got all wonky and there was an issue with his powers. And, and what I, I, I got to say, I, I don't I don't share your love of this opening issue of the signal and the outsiders. I think this is ridiculously long for in, in my view, although may, maybe it's needed because signal has been so badly mishandled as a character by DC that they, they want to give some background because I mean, Duke Thomas has been looking for his mother for what, what? Two years now, three, like it's been like a long time. And this is a story that should have been told quite some time ago. And he's gotten constantly sidestepped in these other stories and with these adventures with the outsiders and what have you. And it's been very, he's had a lot of, uh, he's been side, he's had so many distractions. And I mean, ultimately this is just Duke Thomas wanting to find his mother. And this is a very long winded story and decompressed way of telling us that he just wants to find his mom and he's an absolute psychological mess. And I guess the outsider is going to help him do that. So I guess that's, that's good for a setup, but I just really feel, I mean, we had a signal, we had a two issue signal uh, series, or I guess a two issue. I don't know. What do you call a two issue series? Is it even right to call two issues a series? We had two issues of the signal like about a year and a half ago. Why wasn't this part of this story? And why is this in Batman Urban Legends? This he, he should have his own mini series or something if it's going to, you know, you know, I think he deserves it at, to get some attention. But maybe it's because the signal thing never sold. I don't know. But I agree with you that this this is something that needs to be told. But this was uh uh, I didn't need all this or all, like all, all this, all this build up to it. All I need to know is this could have started off on, on how it ended with, with literally just him looking at a, a board saying he wants to find his mother. He, I don't know why he needs to talk to the entire outsider team and why he needs to there. Or right. Batman says, Oh, now we decide we're going to help Duke Thomas. Uh, I mean, I get it. I just, um, this was a, a lot of pages uh, with with mostly just conversations with people expressing concerns about Duke Thomas, uh, a lot of contrived action. I was just, I just felt this was padding to once again justify a in Canada here a thirteen dollar price tag for a comic book that I uh, you know <laughs> that I have a hard time justifying buying when there's there's so many other good comics by DC. There's well, there's better comics DC out this week, but I I like the signal, but I'm gonna wait to see. Um, hopefully it will it will pick up substantially next issue uh and because i'm really curious to know what happened to duke thomas's mother like where is she who has her because i mean there were his parents were like infused with the joker talks and and i'm surprised she's even how can she survive that long where is she how is she being used i'm you know uh, hopefully brandon thomas will have some good ideas because he's he's had some misfires with chuck brown on the uh aquaman series which uh unfortunately well I think rightly so was mercy killed and canceled. So I, I think Brandon Thomas, he's due for a good, a good story. I think he's had a, he's had some rough patches in the last uh, six months, but uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, just uh, um, 
Well, just a quick comment. The, the other stories weren't bad, but the 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 Bell, the Bonnie and Clyde story with Bell, uh, I just I just I just liked it because you know Bell and Bo, you know it, it's nice to see sort of ordinary thieves in Gotham get away with some stuff. They're they're non-powered. They're just but they're you know we can watch these new villains maybe slowly grow and be organically develop and it's. I just like them. They're, I find that they're likable characters. And I, I kind of like the idea. I, I will say that Batman maybe is a little bit out of character, uh, you know, letting them get away. But I mean, has just think of how bad crime in Gotham is, Jace, that we that it's so bad that Batman now is letting just petty criminals go. Ah, they're just thieves. It's not like they're the Joker or the Riddler or anything. We're just going to let them go. It's like that's how bad it is in Gotham that Batman doesn't even want to waste his time with just petty, petty thievery. So it's like that's minor little nitpick, but I like the characters enough. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, But uh, uh, ah, just to cap things off, uh, not DC's best week, uh, but, um, you know, it did have some good, good moments. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, and and as far as Brandon Thomas, I mean, he said as much on our show. He always struggles with, uh, you know, self-editing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't mind the context of, of getting, you know, Duke's own thoughts and getting a chance to see these who these other uh, heroes are that have teamed up with the Outsiders. You know, we had Green Arrow on the Outsiders, we had Mr. Miracle on the Outsiders. So all of that was was fun as well. So, um yeah, I agree. Not not the not the best week for DC. Um, there are a few trades: Batman versus Robin, Road to War trade paperback, which collects Teen Titans forty three and forty four, Teen Titans Annual two, Detective Comics one thousand thirty two and thirty three, and uh, Batman one hundred six and Detective Comics one thousand thirty four. So I think that's a story where Bruce finds out that Bat uh, that Robin has been um, imprisoning people under the Titans headquarters. So if you're curious about that, that is out in trade. We also have Deathstroke Incorporated Volume 1, King of the Supervillains, hardcover, and then uh, Commandy Volume 1, trade paperback uh, by Jack Kirby. So um, that's it for this episode. Don't forget to tune in to our New Comics Wednesday episode tomorrow. Uh, And I should finally have some content that I generated at San Diego Comic-Con coming out now that I'm back and recovered from COVID. So look for that later this week, as well as the return of the Spawn Daily that you guys have been asking about. That should be coming up real soon as well. You got anything coming up you want to tease, Rocky? Uh, well, every uh, every Sunday, now it looks like it's going to be every Sunday, I do a, we, in, an indie comic review podcast uh, with Jim at Weird Science. So I do that every Sunday. And uh, that's really, uh, so my, my DC review with you and my indie comic review on Sundays, so people can check that out. And occasionally I might uh, do something in between there, but uh, it's kind of hard with my, I'm enjoying the summer, you know, you know, I might not be going on a lot of holidays, but I am enjoying the summer. We're getting beautiful weather up here in uh, Southern Alberta. So it's nice to spend time with family and friends as, as well as reading comics. Yep, definitely the case. So that's going to do it, everybody. Again, apologize for the technical glitches and this episode being a little different than uh, usual. Hopefully we'll be back to the regular format next week. Uh, Don't forget, if you're listening on the auto only, head over to YouTube, do a search for Rocky's channel, Comic Space Boom! Exclamation point. Subscribe, like this video, leave comments, you know what to do. Ring that notification bell. 
conversely, if you're checking us out on uh, the Comic Boom YouTube channel and you haven't subscribed to the audio only version, just go to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe that we don't miss out on any of the content that we put out on the comic source. So we appreciate you guys joining and listening as always. And we'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.